Craig, Thanks. welcome. Good to have you with us. Um, good to be here. Pretty philosophical topic, this one. It is a philosophical topic, yeah, the whole question of where you came from uh, in 20 minutes. Uh, you know, uh, how are we going to go with that? That'll be very interesting to hear, won't it? If anyone can pull it off, Craig, you're the guy. Well, thank you, Tim. Looking forward to what you have to say to us about this topic. Yes, well, the question of where we came from in 20 minutes, you realise I'm not talking about that. We're not talking about the birds and the bees. Because I'm assuming you got that bit right. That's why you've got kids out there. Um, <laughs> but I do want to really raise a fundamental question about your kids, actually. Uh, and putting it like that makes it sound like you're in trouble, doesn't it? I have a question for you about your children. Um, Now, it's not that you're not in trouble. I want to really raise, um, what are they actually? doesn't sound any better at that point, does it? What are they, your children? What are they actually? I wonder, what is a human being? What actually is a human being? Most of us have got kids or perhaps even grandkids here. Uh, I've got three daughters. And I couldn't imagine life without them. Uh, They are a massive part of my life, Louise's life. But what are they? Um, What does it mean to be human? Now, that can be a really hard question to answer, can't it? Uh, And I suspect this is a topic many of us have thought about, but perhaps not been able to work out uh, what are the answers, where do I go to for the answers, and in 20 minutes I'm certainly not going to solve all of those. And you might find it even hard to ask questions about it because you're wondering where do I begin. I do appreciate that as we talk about a, a topic like this. But there's no more important question than this one because it actually affects the whole issue of what we do with life. How do we live life and what is it about? Who am I? Uh, It's a massively significant question. When my middle daughter, Rachel, was around about... My wife will confirm or deny here in a moment. About three, I think, and we were away on holidays and she was helping me wash our new car. We filled the bucket with soapy water... Um, we washed off the dirt, um, we sprayed it with the hose, um, then we dried it with the chamois, and then we began polishing it. You know what you do? You put the polish on, you rub it in circles like that, and then you rub it off in circles like that. Um, this karate kid, that's right. <laughs> and and the, the next day, I found her beside the car with a bucket of water and some soap suds um, rubbing in circles with a little weeder. You know those little weeders <laughs> that you find in the garden, rubbing diligently in circles, <laughs> making this little pat on the, on the duco of our new car. Now, she'd, um, it was a wonderful experience that we've never let her forget. <laughs> um, but she hadn't quite understood what the weeder was intended for because it was kind of found in the same area as the car. She assumed it was the device to use. Not knowing its purpose led to a really unfortunate error. Uh, And um, that is what happens, isn't it? Uh, When it comes to our children, um, what are they actually intended for? Who are they? Um, Who are we when it comes to that? The answer you give to that question says a lot about the the worldview you have. Now, who's familiar with that terminology, worldview? Some are. Um, Everyone's got a worldview to kind of simplify this. Everyone's got one. Uh, It's a view of life and how it works and how the big things in life fit in and how they fit together. Um, And even if you don't know you've got one, you've got one. We've all got one. Um, And the view we have matters. In particular, it matters when you're parenting, but it matters for you as well because it will either set your kids up with a view of life that makes sense of the big issues or a view of life that will confuse them 
when it comes to the big issues. The test of a good worldview is exactly that then. Does it answer the big questions of life? Where did I come from? Um, where will I go when I die? Where do I find meaning in life? And how do I know right from wrong? They're the four questions. Where did I come from? Uh, where do I go to when I die? How do I find meaning in life? Um, how do I work out right from wrong and how to live my life? Now, we all ask those questions, don't we? In, in one sense, you've got to be dead not to ask them. We're all asking them at some point or another. And most of the answers your kids get come from, well, actually, it comes from the screen or it comes from Facebook or it comes from their friends at school or it comes on the toilet wall or it comes from somewhere. Um, but actually, a good worldview is one that will answer those questions. They all hinge on this. What does it mean to be human? What actually is a human being? Tremendously fundamental, isn't it? But a question that's very difficult for people to come to grips with. Now, I want to suggest there are two basic answers in our day and age that are given to that question. And the first one is one that I think will be all of us really, really very, very familiar with. It's the answer that says human beings are simply the product of uh, random chance over time, the product of evolution where a random collection of atoms that are assembled together for a short period of time, 70 years if you're you know, average, 80 or 90 if you're beyond average, less than that if you're unfortunate, um, and then after that you'll return to the ground, you'll rot away, you'll cease to exist, and the atoms that made you up will appear in some other form, maybe a daffodil or something wonderful like that. Um, now that's a view that's been made really popular today by a number of very prominent uh, thinkers, uh, influential men like Richard Dawkins. Who, how, how many have heard that name, Richard Dawkins? Yeah, fantastic. How many have read any of his books? Yeah, a few. Um, he's the author of the book that came out a few years ago, The God Delusion, uh, and it was, a, uh, it was a book that a friend of mine gave me. In it, he says this about human beings. He says, uh, What are all of us but self-reproducing robots put together by our genes... We roam the world looking for a way to sustain ourselves and ultimately produce another robot child. It's very romantic, isn't it? <laughs> I wonder how Mrs Dawkins <laughs> uh, uh, took the proposal when it probably came from Richard about, uh, uh, would you like to marry me and produce some robot children? <laughs> I, I'm sure it wouldn't have gone down pretty well. Um, but here's what Richard says about life. He says, in a, in a universe of blind physical forces and genetic replication. Sorry for the big words there. Um, some people are going to get hurt, others are going to get lucky, and you won't find any rhyme or reason in it. And you won't find any justice in it. The universe we observe has precisely the properties we would expect if there is at bottom, now listen to the last bit, no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. Now there's, there's Richard's uh, view of life. In other words, what he's saying according to this view is that, that you and your children, uh, the lives you have, have got no objective meaning. Um, you can try to create something for the 70 years you've got here. You can do your best to create it. Um, it'll help pass away the time, like, you know, have a screen. Go play whatever it is we play these days. Angry Birds, it was a few years ago. I've got no idea what it is now. It'll pass away the time, but that's all it is, is what he's saying. And there's no objective right and wrong. 
Um, There's just the changing set of rules that our society works out together. And in your generation, it might have been in this, and my generation, it might have been that, and their generation, it might be something else, but that's how you work out right and wrong. It's just an agreed set of rules. There's nothing beyond it other than that. It's why, actually, Richard Dawkins, not to... um, not to disgust you at this point and not to offend you at all, but in August this year, Richard said that if you're pregnant and you find that your child has Down syndrome, it would be immoral for you not to abort it. Remember, that's not my statement there. What he's saying about life, though, is... um, and Remember, I'm not saying this. What he's saying, um, if that's all we are, we're the product of evolution, and you have a child that's got a genetic disorder abort it because they'll pollute our gene pool. Now there's the there's one of the implications of that view that we don't often see. In fact it's the same reason why the Nazis in the 1930s and 40s and the Americans in the 1920s sterilised thousands of people. Thousands upon thousands of people. The Nazis did it of course to the Jews. The Americans did you realise did it to the hillbillies because they figured they would simply be people that they were lesser beings. Now, you may not like that view. I mean, I, I suspect you don't, most of us, when you hear it like that. But if there's no God, as Richard says, then you just need to get over it. In fact, that's what he says. You need to get over it. Get on with life. That's how it needs to be. Now... Some of you here actually are people who've you've been to school recently, you've been through the whole education system. This, the theory of evolution is widely accepted. I'm a former science teacher, actually. Uh, like Tim, most of my professional life's been spent in uh, the area of science or thinking about science. I've spent years thinking about this particular issue. Um, today is not the day to talk about the science stuff, but I'm happy to do that if you'd like to. Um, what I am doing is raising the question as to whether this view is a sufficient view of what a human being is. Is it a sufficient view um, to explain what your children are and what my children are? See, if our kids have got a sense of things like, and they do, things like um, right and wrong, your kids have a sense of right and wrong, don't they? Uh, Purpose and meaning, uh, justice and love. In fact, it's, it's right sometimes to do something for people out of pure self-sacrifice. I'd be, really, I'd be really concerned if my kids didn't have a sense of those things. But they have had, you know, ever since they've been born, they have had a sense of those things. Um, hope for the future. All those things. Where did they get them from? Where do all kids get those things from? Especially if what Richard says is true and the universe has got no right and wrong, It's got no purpose and meaning. It's got no hope or love or justice or God. Because where did my kids get those things from if it's actually not in the universe anywhere? Because you can't get something from nothing. Someone actually really helpfully put it like this, and it's a simple illustration, but suppose you put on your bench at the end of today two glasses... Um, glass A, glass B, glass A's got a hundred mils of water in it, glass B is empty, 
you leave the room, you come back the next morning, and you find that glass A is now empty, glass B has got water in it. Well, you'd assume, wouldn't you, um, that the water from A got tipped into B. The problem is, you find there's 300 mils of water in B, there's only 100 mils of water in A to start with. Where'd the extra water come from? (laughs) You can't get something from nothing. It had to come from somewhere. If the universe doesn't have it, where did it actually come from? Now, whether the water from A got poured into B, that's debatable. What's beyond dispute is that all the water in B couldn't have come from A. You can't get something from nothing. Now, friends, um, I used that term at the outset about a worldview. Everyone's got a worldview, and every worldview's got its price tag. Uh, just so you're aware, there's the price tag of the no-God worldview. You're left with a world in which the um, really significant parts, the things that actually fundamentally make us human, love, justice, meaning, truth, purpose, hope, have got no part. No part. Such that if you follow that worldview, you've got to deny that those things even matter. And the problem is, most of us think they do matter. Am I right on this? Most of us think they matter. In fact, almost impossible to live life without the assumption that they matter. There's a second view. It's captured actually by a... It's captured really neatly by a piece of poetry that's 3,000 years old. uh, Written, gee... Uh, about a thousand BC, it begins with an address to God. Let me read it to you. It says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And then it goes on very quickly to consider us. It says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you've set in place, what's mankind that you're mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. You've made them just a little lower than the angels. You've crowned them with glory and honour. You've made them rulers over the works of your hands. You've put everything under their feet. All flocks and herds and animals of the wild, birds of the sky, fish in the sea. And then it concludes, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Very different view of human beings, isn't it? Very different view of human beings. It's saying human beings are unique. You get in that line, they're crowned with glory and honour. There's something significant. They matter. They're the deliberate creation of a good God. They're made for a purpose. Made for the purpose of relationship. They're made to relate to those around them. Uh, They're meant to relate to us as parents. It doesn't always work. Uh, But they're meant to relate to us. They're meant to relate to the friends around them. It's why Facebook and the way we set them up for that matters. They're meant to relate to the world around them. That is the created order around them. And they're meant to relate to a good God. They're meant to relate properly to him. Now, just very quickly, 
That's the view of Jesus Christ about the world. There's, there's his world view. And it's probably the view you kind of grew up with, even if you didn't realise that's where it came from. It actually came from him. And it says that we consist of a body, yes, but we're spiritual. There's a part of us that's spiritual. So death isn't the end for us. We're meant for more than this, which is why I take it we always feel the wrench um, that comes with the death of someone we love. Now, I would surprise, I'd be surprised if there's anyone here who hasn't felt that. You know, I had a brother who's 20. He passed away. Devastating. When an older person dies... No offence if you class yourself as an older person. No offence. Um, I am. <laughs> when an older person dies, you kind, of, yeah, you kind of expect that will happen sooner or later. When a young person dies... You're not expecting that at all. There's a wrench in it. There's a, it it's painful. It, 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 seems, it seems incongruent. It shouldn't be the case. Remember um, when Philip Hughes... Now, I say Philip Hughes. You say, yeah, I know that name. Yes? Remember when Philip Hughes died a couple of weeks ago? Now, Philip Hughes is an Australian cricketer. There were thousands of tributes that came from people all over the world. And the really interesting thing I noted in all the tweets that I saw just to show how culturally sophisticated I am, <laughs> was that almost all of them, with the exception of those that came from, the, um, from Great Britain, actually, expressed the certainty that he was somewhere among us still, in another place. And that was very interesting, I found. Very interesting to find that almost universally, people assumed that Philip Hughes, though dead, had an existence beyond this. Extraordinary observation in a world that actually is strongly atheistic. Um, it was the same with the Air Asia disaster. The profound grief on the faces of people who actually faced the reality that those they loved had died. Now, you actually don't expect that if evolution is true, can I say, if it's simply true. Um, you don't expect that because you'd expect your death is just a normal part of life. Everyone dies. You pass on your genes so long as you've gone to another place and... And, and you're gone forever, but you've left something behind you. We never think of the world like that. Not at the point of death. Not at the point of the very tragic moments in life. Um, listen to these words. They come from a very old but famous poem. Um, it says, I met a little cottage girl. She was eight years old, she said. Her hair was thick with many a curl that clustered round her head. Sisters and brothers, little maid, how many may you be? How many? Seven in all, she said, and wondering, she looked at me. Two of us are in the churchyard lie, my sister and my brother, and in the, cottage yard, in the churchyard cottage, I dwell near them with my mother. You run around, my little maid, your limbs, they're alive. If two are in the churchyard laid, then you are only five. How many are you then, said I, if they two are in heaven? Quick was the little maid's reply, O oh, master, we're seven. But they are dead, those two are dead, their spirits are in heaven. Twas throwing words away for still, the little maid would have her will and said, Nay, we're seven. Now, friends, got the point behind that? It's fascinating when you talk to children. You notice it in our art, you notice it in human beings at the moment of the big trials in life, 
But especially in our children, you find that deep down, they have a longing for something more than this. And they have the expectation that it's true. Don't have to teach kids that. We assume it, they assume it without being taught that there is a heaven, there is a God, there is a right, there is a wrong, there's a need for justice, there's a need for love.